Welcome to the LifePoint Church Podcast. Our mission is to help people become fully devoted followers of Christ through intentionally serving, giving, and caring for our neighbor. We bring you Christ-centered messages from our pastors each Sunday, as well as engaging discussions relevant to your life. So grab a cup of coffee, get comfortable, and join us as we strive to grow as followers of Christ and make a positive impact in our community. Good morning, good morning. So we are starting a new series on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. All right. Who's ready for a little contention? You know, the beauty about the gifts are they're actually, uh, and and we'll talk about this here, uh, but there is design in there for it to cause contention, and you'll see why in just a minute, but it's not something that can be solved. It's not something that after 2,000 years, it's like, why haven't we figured this out yet? How do we still have contention over the gifts? When you understand intrinsically how the gifts work and how people work, there's bound to be tension. The beauty is what, comes, what should come through the tension, uh, more Christ-likeness, more of His Spirit. So we're going to establish a foundation this morning, and then over the course of February, we're going to go through the, what the gifts are and break them down. There's four main places the gifts of the Holy Spirit are mentioned. We're going to be looking at Ephesians 4 this morning. If you have a Bible, please open it up to Ephesians 4. Uh, it's in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and 1 Peter 4 as well. Those are the four places the gifts of the Holy Spirit are mentioned. While you're looking that up, I want to share with you something. It was great. In our pre-meeting before the 8 o'clock service, we get together with the worship team and pastors, and we pray and go over how things are going to flow for the day. And Pastor Blake prayed something really good. He said, Lord, whenever we have gifts from our Father, we are super excited about them. So why do we often sort of shy away from your gifts? And as he said that, it brought back to me memories. Whenever my dad would do business trips, he would always bring back a gift for my brother and I in his suitcase. And so we would just cling to him until he opened it. And I think purposefully, he would sometimes just wander around and wait to open it. And he knew what we were waiting for. And my father always got really awesome gifts for us. He knew us better than anybody. He knew what we loved. And whenever he was out, he thought of us, found something cool, and brought it home. I think often we think of a gift from God as being more like the gift that was given to Ralphie in a Christmas story, the pink bunny pajamas. You remember what I'm talking about? We're afraid of it. We're afraid of what it's going to look like. Is it going to be bad? Am I going to have to wear it around? Am I going to be embarrassed by my gift? And rather than looking at it as a gift from a father who's bringing you something incredible because he knows and loves you, we often look at the gifts and we're sort of, ugh, we sort of back off from it. Or we look around and we see what everybody else got and we, well, I want that gift. I want that. So I want to look at this morning at where the gifts come from, the purpose of the gifts, and then... uh, theology, sort of understanding how the gifts practically play out in the church. Ephesians 4, 7 through 16, says, to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Isn't that fascinating? I'm not supposed to stop here, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Does that lead you to believe that to some there is greater portions and some less portions? So next time you're having low grace with your spouse, you just quote Ephesians 4, 7 and let them know 
I was given less grace <laughs> by Christ. And that, my friends, is an example of how you misuse scripture. You can write that down. <laughs> this is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led the captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, and to prepare God's people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach full all unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, we will speak the truth in love and we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ." From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we pray that as we walk through this this morning, that your Holy Spirit would lead us. Lord, that you would speak wisdom to the hearts of those who are here listening, to those who came here this morning seeking you, Lord, that they would find you that they would see you, Lord Jesus. Uphold us in this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to give a shout out to my good friend, Jonathan. You know Jonathan? He stands over here. He dances usually during worship. He's amazing. He's in the hospital right now. Jonathan, you're watching online. Love you, dude. We'll see you when you get back here. So here's the thing with the gifts in church. The gifts will often swing like a pendulum. Either as a body of believers, we'll go all in and we go completely to the extreme and excess of the gifts, or we go the other way and we just deny their existence altogether for the current state of the church, that it was just for the building up of the church. And once the Bible was uh, canonized, we no longer had a need for those types of gifts. Not all of them, of course. Some of them we still get to keep, but you know, the ones we don't want to talk about, like the gift of healing and tongues and prophecy and all these ones that cause great tension, we want to look at those and say there's no more a need for those. So we're going to look at what are the gifts, what are the practical uses for the church, and how can we rightly use them. So spiritual gifts, plain and simple, are the differing abilities given by the Holy Spirit to each believer to meet the needs of the community in such a way as to build up the people into the fullness of Christ Jesus. That's a long definition, but to break that down, it is different abilities that God's Holy Spirit has given us so that we can meet the needs of our community. And as we do that, the church grows in the fullness of God's likeness, of Christ's likeness. Does that make sense? That doesn't seem like a very contentious definition yet, does it? That's pretty simple. A gift is given to meet the needs. I will say this, though, about the gift. The gift is not ever given for yourself. Isn't that interesting? You know how we, as a church, we have this sort of foundation of 10%. We keep 90% of our money. We give 10% away. The gift isn't like 90% you give away, you keep 10 for yourself. It is 100%. The designation of a gift is to give it away. It is given to you to then give away. You don't keep a portion of it. 
It's fascinating because usually when we get gifts, we keep them. But the gifts of God's Spirit are meant to be given out. So if we look at this, and this is really neat, there is no need of the human condition that cannot be met by one of the spiritual gifts. There is not a single need. We have the ability to communicate truth through the gifts of evangelism and teaching, to bear one another's burdens. There's a gift of encouragement and mercy, the gifts of service and helps. So often those gifts look, get looked at as, well, no, it's not a gift, that's just who I am. No, it's a gift. Look around. If you, if you can come and serve and just you always show up to people's houses, you're always there to cook a meal, you're the one who, whenever people run into you, for some reason you just have an encouraging word waiting on your lips and you think, well, that's not a big deal. It's a big deal. It's a really big deal. That is a gift from God. That is not, why do you think you're oftentimes the only one helping clean up at the end? Because nobody else is using their gift? Probably. But it's a big deal. The fact that you're doing it with joy and a smile in your heart. Don't look down on those gifts. The church would not exist without those gifts. For some, there's given the gift of direction and leadership, administration and wisdom, the gift of counseling for individual direction, the gifts of healing for the wounded, the gifts of encouragement when we are downcast, the gifts to challenge another brother or sister when we are failing or dropping back in our faith or going astray. Who has ever been affected by that gift? Where somebody spoke into your life and rather than just feeling condemned by them and like, oh, well, what do you know? You were just instantly convicted. And, and they, they just spoke and you knew they were right and you listened to the word, you humbled yourself before God and you're like, wow, that person read my mail. Like, they knew exactly what I was walking through. There is no human need that cannot be met by a gift of the Spirit. Oftentimes, our own ignorance will lead us into places of dislike for things we do not understand. So, let's look at this. You see, not only are individual Christians different, do we agree on that still? But the gifts make churches different. Now think about this for a second. If, if you have a group of musicians, right? There's some over here in the front row. We spread them out. We don't keep them all clustered together here. So they're spread amongst you, the musicians. And then you have over here a group of uh, like just football, burly, burly sports guys. Are they often going to be talking about the same thing? Are they going to have the same passions? I'll be honest, when I sit down with Joe and Jeremy and Nick and we start talking about songs, I feel like I'm hanging with them. And then they start talking about keys and what key it's going to be in. And on our morning sheet, there's always keys for everything. And I ask to be put in the key of F sharp minor flat because it sounds interesting. I have no idea what any of those numbers mean. I wanted to be a lead guitarist, so I got an electric guitar when I was a teenager, and then I didn't just want to play in the background, I wanted to be the lead singer, right? Like Scott Stapp from Creed, because he's the coolest thing that's ever happened to man, until Nickelback came along. And uh, I wanted that, but I couldn't play and sing. And then I realized I can't sing, and then I realized I can't actually keep tune, uh, melody and just play. So I put the guitar down and went back to sports. 
So what happens is you have your musicians over here and they're connecting on a different level and they've got passions about things. And then you've got your, your football guys over here and, and they're connecting on different levels, right? Like this group over here, they, they're really feeling each other emotionally. And then this group over here, they're feeling each other too, but like brutally. And they both are talking about the same thing, connecting about the same thing, and yet their passions and what they are coming in agreement on is completely different in many ways. And so the early church began to sort of break up into these what we now call denominations. And again, I read this uh, at the beginning of January. Uh, some follow Apollo, some follow Paul. And then what's he? Paul says, no, we're all under the banner of Christ. What he's not saying is, no, you're not allowed to hang out with people who have similar interests. What he was against is what the church has turned denominations into, which is the worship guys hate the football guys because they're gross savages. And the football guys hate the worship guys because they don't understand any of it and they don't believe that the way they dress and their jeans are too tight. Yeah. <laughs> now, I, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to make this clear and I'm joking a little, but this is 100% what we do. Because then ultimately what happens, rather than having grace for one another and just understanding this is just a believer with a different set of gifts, we begin to demonize them. And we call them heretical. We begin to throw words around that they, even though they praise the same Jesus we praise, they believe he is Lord of all, he died and rose again, they believe all of that. We look at them and we begin to disassociate. In fact, we won't even eat meals with other family members who are Christ followers because they're a different denomination. The very thing that was given to us by our Lord to bring unity to his body, the enemy has used to bring the greatest division. And the reason we often demonize something is because we don't understand it. And so rather than taking the time to learn, rather than humbling ourselves through the use of the gifts that God has placed on us, we become prideful and we judge others. So, should there be churches that are different and look different but still follow Jesus? Of course, there's naturally going to be. There's no way you can uniformly make us all look exactly the same. The gifts are different. The gifts are distributed differently. So what's the goal of spiritual gifts? It's this, and it's right here in Ephesians, that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That is the goal. If you're wondering what the gift's goal was, it was to get there. Oftentimes, we call you what if you attend church here at a non-denominational church? What are you? You're a congregant, yes. You're not a customer, right? You're not a client. You're not a collection. I don't like have pictures of you and I keep them on baseball cards and I'm like, this is my collection of people who attend the church. And we trade them and stuff and you have different values. I grew up enjoying basketball cards and baseball cards, which intrinsically have zero value. It is a piece of cardboard. And we have ratings and judgments based off of purity of the edges of the cardboard and then we give and associate value with it. If you were never into baseball cards, you might think it's completely ridiculous, right? That in my youth, I spent every allowance and then next month's allowance on packs of baseball cards. Now, I come to find out as I got married that my wife collects spoons and thimbles 
Is there any other spoon or thimble collectors in here? Yeah, yeah. You don't raise your hand high. You'd be proud. There we go. I had no idea this was a thing, and I'm not talking about a spoon you could use. I'm, it's a tiny little baby spoon. And when you go places, they have them. They're just there. You go to Mexico, you go to Berlin, Czechoslovakia, you can get a spoon. And it's got a little picture at the top, and it says Czechoslovakia. You can get thimbles. And it's funny because we teased each other about it. And then she saw, as we're moving in together and starting our life together when we got married, I have this giant tote full of basketball and baseball cards. And she's like, what is that? I'm like, well, it's nothing. It's so much cooler than your stupid thimbles. And you're, we're just, do we have to, and we've moved like five times now. Do we have to keep taking that with us? Yes, one day it'll be worth money when all those guys are dead. No, it won't be. You see, a collection is not a congregation. A congregation is a body that's working together, that's connected together, like the ligaments of your body, the tendons, the bones, the muscle, the nervous system, they all work together. And when they work together, the body functions as it should, and it makes sense, and it's logical, and it's reasonable. My, my cards don't work together. They're independent of one another. They're all gathered together in a collection, gathering dust in a closet. They aren't even like posted on a wall for beauty or artwork's sake. Too many churches have become collections of people who come together in the name of Jesus, but they don't do anything. Think about that for a minute. Their light isn't shining. Their gifts aren't being used. They are there to receive a word from the Lord. I hear that a lot. I want to receive a word from the Lord. What have you put out? You're receiving, but what have you put out? If the gifts were given to every man and woman who believes, it says, Every man and woman, I didn't catch, cover that, everyone gets one, <laughs> right? Oprah thought she was special with, you get a car, and you get a, Jesus already did it with the gifts of the Spirit. Like, all of us who believe receive a gift in different apportions as Christ see fits. So, we want to be a congregation. We want our gifts to matter and intersect and interact with the lives of the other people of the church. This is how Christ saw the body that he was leaving on the earth growing and developing into the full measure of who he was. That's the purpose. There is a professor at Harvard from 1930 to 1950 named H.J. Cadbury, and he taught theology and the Bible. Yes, there was a time when he, Harvard taught theology and the Bible. In fact, if you look, most Ivy League colleges were started with God in mind and combining God with science and math and seeing how it all worked together. This is what this guy would do. He would take undergraduates, most of whom had never read a Bible, and he would give what he called their virgin reaction of actually listening to Jesus. And so he would have them read the words of Jesus, and then they were to write on it. He says, typically, they were always shocked, and so I want to give you here just a small paragraph of what one of the students once wrote after just reading the words of Jesus. He said, you read about Jesus, but who is he? What is he? Despite being absolutely approachable to the weakest and most broken people, he is completely fearless before the proud and the corrupt. Despite being profoundly human and becoming weary and lonely and moved to joy and love and anger, we never see him moody. Can we just appreciate the insight from this student on that one? Jesus expressed every human emotion, but he was never moody. And you know what a moody person is, right? You pout, you're frustrated because things didn't go your way. That's moody. 
Jesus, I love that. Joy, love, anger, weariness, loneliness, but we never see him moody. He says we never see him inconsistent. He is tender without being weak, strong without being harsh, humble without the slightest lack of confidence. He has conviction without intolerance, enthusiasm without fanaticism, and holiness without Phariseeism, passion without prejudice. This man alone never made a false step, never struck a jarring note. This is life at its highest. That's a pretty cool reaction to somebody who's just read the words of Jesus for the first time. Do you know that's what the spiritual gifts are supposed to produce in the church? Do you know that? That's what they're supposed to produce. In fact, Jesus, when he walked on this earth, had the fullness of all the spiritual gifts. Did you know that? He didn't have partial in part. He had all the gifts of the Spirit in fullness. Now, you may think to yourself, well, no wonder he lived a perfect life. He had all the gifts. I only get a portion of the gifts. Let me ask you something. Typically, in human beings, when you have everything, are you a generous, kind person that people want to be around? Or are you a braggadocious little jerk who made fun of my Nintendo because you got a better one? I'm still dealing with it. I'm getting over it. Right? The person who has everything is never somebody who's super sweet and humble and giving it away often. And so for Jesus to have it all and step down, descend from his throne, and to give it all away and then teach us to do the same thing when we receive that same kind of giftings and powers of his spirit. It's pretty incredible. And here's one of the things we have to recognize when it comes to your gifting, though. It's not about the technical perfection of how you execute the gift. We measure things on technical ability. We measure things on, well, how does this perform? It's whether or not you operating in your gift produces Christ-likeness. When you operate in your gift, is the fruit of the Spirit becoming more evident in your life? That's the best barometer. You see, spiritual gifts can operate outside of spiritual fruit being active in your life. We're going to get into something real deep here in a second. Spiritual gifts can operate outside of expertise or learning, education. There have been people who have laid hands and healed somebody in the name of the Lord who had no medical background. There have been those with no counseling, psych- psychological training who have spoken a word from the, God, from the Spirit of God and have helped and healed somebody emotionally right where they're standing. Spoken a word and caused decades-long addiction to be gone because they operated and walked in a gift that God gave them. Pretty cool. What are the practical implications, point number two, for the church? Well, first and foremost, the number one implication, if what I have said so far is true, is this, that there cannot be any passive, unemployed Christians in the church. If it is true that every single person sitting in this room received a gift and maybe has multiples, then that means that in order to work together and be part of the congregation, not the collection of bodies that are in here, then there can be no unemployed Christians. In Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The works that you have set before you, using the gifts God has given you, has already been laid out and prepared in advance. 
You've been crafted, made unique with abilities, which means there are people and there are places and situations that you alone have been designed by God to go and witness to. Isn't that cool? You have experiences, you have family, culture, learning, and then the giftings of God's Holy Spirit that He has placed in your life that no other people have. So what happens when God's children step out of serving and loving their neighbors and their communities? What happens? You've got all these people who, who were waiting to hear from the Lord and all these people who were suited to and gifted to and prepped for, and then they don't get the message. Because we, we stopped operating in the gifts. We started to keep it for ourselves. To understand your gifts and exercise your gifts is the very meaning and mission of your life. To walk in what God has given you, His unique Holy Spirit ability. He has put it in you. Often we walk around and we say, oh Lord, what is my, what is my meaning? What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go to school? Who should I marry? Where should I work? Oh God, help me. God's like, you already know. I did this when I was 18 going into college and I went on hikes up mountains, you know, and you're just journaling and you're writing and you're crying and you go to the woods and you get away and you're like, I'm doing all the stuff the pastor said. I'm journaling and I'm going to church and I'm at a small group and I just can't tell God, do I go to ASU or Southwestern Bible College? Why won't you answer me? God's like, you already know the giftings I placed on your heart. I'm like, yeah, 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 but it had something to do with being a pastor, and they don't make any money. And God, I want to make money for your name. You know that's my heart. And so I went to ASU. <laughs> went into business, and the Lord and His grace and His unbelievable mercy, He goes with you. He loves you. He upholds you. And when the time was right, He spoke again and said, hey, you're done now. And that time I listened. When the Lord brings a gift to you, you are uniquely created to carry it out. Don't forget that. That is your meaning. That is your calling. And here's what happens when we don't exercise our gifts. There's two things we see here in America especially. First, in small churches, the problem is this. Because churches are small and they have light number in people, you have a few people doing a large number of jobs at the church which means you have people doing maybe the job they're gifted in and multiple jobs they're not gifted in. This was me when I first came out here, right? I was designing the slides. How beautiful was that graphic today? And how neat, and it came in and all the gears moved. If you can go back and find from 10 years ago the graphics I made, and then I uploaded into the computer and I turned lights on, like I did everything to help get this thing going on a Sunday morning, and was operating so far outside my giftings, what happens when you operate outside your giftings? Burnt out. You do, don't you? It took me three years. It was three years before I finally hit the wall. And so in small churches, this is often what you see. You see people who are overworked, over underthinked, and often they burn out. But there's a greater danger, and that's in churches like LifePoint. It's uh, 2020's mega church of the year. If you weren't here, you can go back to the sermon in April of 2020. Here's why. 
Spiritual gifts are output ministry. It's output, right? And what happens is when you're in a large church like this, you come and you show up and there's already worship leaders, there's pastors, there's volunteers and the children's, there's people serving coffee, there's greeters, the landscape has been trimmed and cleaned up and everything's taken care of and there becomes this appearance that I don't need, they don't need me here. I can just come and receive. And that to me is a much bigger danger than, many peop- than a small amount of people doing much work for the Lord. Because what happens is we begin to receive a lot of high quality input from the church, but we never put, begin to go and take our gifts and put them back out. And if you're really creative and know where to sit, you will know how to come in and get out. So all you do is receive from the church. <laughs> right? I know I'm speaking truth. It's super quiet, except for my front row people. They're laughing. Because they're like, we sat up front. It's hard for us to leave. If you don't make yourself accountable, right? If you aren't making yourself accountable, you will fall back into what is most easiest. And that's where the accountability, the brotherhood, sisterhood of the church, working together, being part of the congregation, not the collection, comes into play. To each is given a gift. You are God's workmanship. There are certain things you and you alone can do. We cannot have passive, unemployed Christians at LifePoint. If you're wondering where to get connected, if you're wondering how, come and talk with us. Come and talk with any of the pastors, the elders. There are so many opportunities for ministry. Mike gave you a good one that's coming up. And you're like, well, that's just one day on March 4th. There are so many every single week that if we had the people, we would be able to plug them in. And we have the people with giftings. Maybe you don't know your gift yet. Maybe you haven't walked in it with the Lord. Maybe you don't believe in it, but it believes in you. Second implication is this. We ought to expect a certain amount of contention. So I talked about this at the beginning, right? We ought to expect a certain amount of contention and conflict when you have people with different spiritual gifts. And let me give you an example of why this is not going to go away. If in the wash, you guys know the wash that's back here behind our parking lot? I need head nods. No head nods. I'm looking at you. If there were a hundred homeless in tents, like there is in many of the cities around the U.S. right now, do you think if I stood up here and said, do you have any idea how we can help them, that there would just be one great idea because we're all Christian believers? And you would be uniformed under the banner of the Lord Jesus Christ and you would all speak it? Yes, we must all do this, and everyone would go, ha ha, cheers. Well, we're done, let's go do it. What would happen? The evangelists would come and say, if we aren't out there proselytizing them every single day, then what kind of church are we? The administrator would say, we're so unorganized, we can't help them. We need groups who can break it down and then be able to take small sections at a time and do this and this and this. We must be organized. The pastor, the shepherd's heart would say, we just go and we love them every day. Let that be the natural thing. The teacher would say they have to know and understand. You can't do something if you don't understand. Do you see what I'm getting at? 
Every person would have a different solution for how to take care of it, and none of them are wrong. All of them are giving a solution operating in the gift that they have been given, so they see the problem through their gift. It's not wrong. So, you can always expect some degree of contention in the church. You won't solve that. If you leave a church because there's contention in how to solve problems, then you're missing the complete human condition. There will always be contention. Here's what we do with that contention. Third, the Holy Spirit should create a certain amount of contention that should destroy jealousy and pride. It should destroy jealousy and pride. So if all those people came up with those ideas, right, and we got behind people where we're like, I could see doing this. My, my skill set fits into this. And rather than saying, no, we aren't going to do this, we at the top of the church, we've decided we're doing it this one way. You all get in and do it this way. Or what if we empowered people, gave them resources, helped them, coached them, taught them, got people behind them, and then sent out all these different groups working in their giftings to go tackle the problem. This is what the early church did. This is how Christianity spread like wildfire through the entire Roman Empire and then out further. It was because people understood I have a gift. It was taught to work and operate inside of your gift, to serve, give all of it. And so this is what they did. Did they fight? Did they mess up? Did they? Yeah, look at Paul's letters. They fought all the time. But 2,000 years later, Paul was like, they won't be fighting anymore. They'll read my letters. They'll figure it out. They'll, the jealousy and all of that will fall away. Oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> and it's always going to be there. There's always going to be jealousy creeping and knocking at the door of your heart saying, you know, is he really fit to be leader? Wouldn't you be a better leader? I mean, don't you, aren't you tired of being told what to do by them? Don't you have vision too and giftings too? Do you guys recognize the voice that I'm speaking right now? The thing is, the Holy Spirit, as you submit your life to the Lord, will begin to change you, not through your gift, but through the fruit. The fruit. What's the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Peace, patience, kindness. Yeah, everyone's saying it. Yeah. And here's what's really cool about the fruit. Do you know that it's not the fruits of the Spirit? Meaning, you don't, it's not like the gifts where you might just have one gift given in a proportion, but we actually are called to have all the fruit of the Spirit. It's one fruit, many facets. So you can't be like, well, I have a lot of integrity and self-control, but when it comes to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, I just wasn't given that fruit. <laughs> it's not my fruit. But that's what we do, isn't it? Oh, you have to work with me on this one. I just wasn't given the fruit of kindness. No, you were, and you are expected to walk and grow in it. You may not have been given the fruit of teaching or healing or words of wisdom or prophecy or any of these, but you were given the fruit of kindness, love, joy. And how you can tell somebody who is walking in their gifting and submitting their life to their Lord Jesus is you will see growth in the fruit. I don't care how big your ministry gets, your work gets, your, your pocketbook gets. If year after year you continue to say you're following Christ and yet I don't see you become more joyful, more kind, 
more peaceful, more gentle, more patient, then I have to seriously question whether or not you're walking in the gift you've been given. When we walk in the gift, it produces greater fruit. And here's a little secret. You can walk in your gift and be spiritually dead. In order to have the fruit, we walk in our gift, and that evidence will be the fruit. But you can walk in your gift without the fruit. And I'll give you this example because it's the most easy to see. Pastors will often, who are gifted speakers, and I'm guilty of this, continue to walk in their gift on Sunday mornings, preach a message that changes people's lives, and people, oh my gosh, that was so blessed, and you're, that's so good, and then go home and be spiritually dead. Have no patience, kindness, peace, joy with their family, with their friends. Because the gift is exactly that. It's a gift. Now, can the Lord remove his, the mantle from you? can. And we see plenty of examples of that. But the gift doesn't need the fruit. So what we often do is we say to ourselves, I must be doing okay. Look at all the lives that were changed. Look at all the people I'm helping. And so maybe you're not a pastor, but you volunteer and you look and you see all the good work you did this weekend at your volunteer opportunity, but you know the truth. You know that the fruit in you is rotten. That is something we have to be careful of. You can be empty inside and not doing well with God and not growing in your fruit and yet absolutely soaring in your gift. You've got to be very careful, very aware of that, and that's where the accountability of the church comes in. We've had to ask people to back off from ministries because even though their ministry is doing great and there's lots of people coming, as pastors, we see their heart and we recognize you are in, on the edge of burnout. I'm going to have to ask you to step back from this ministry and put another person in as leader. And it's the kindest, gracious, most gracious thing that the church can do for you because we don't often see it. We often have a blind spot to that part of who we are. Okay, I'm going to close here. So how do we rightly use our spiritual gifts? What's it say in verse 15 and 16 of Ephesians 4? Go ahead, shout it out. Ephesians 4, 15, and 16. Did we close our Bibles up? I should have mine open real quick. There we go. 4, 15, and 16. What is it? There it is. Right there. Oh, wait, no, just right there. That part. Speak the truth in love. Why do you think what follows 1 Corinthians 12, which is a longer list of the giftings of the Holy Spirit, is an entire declaration on love? Speak the truth in love. Over and over and over again, Paul says this. What good will you be if you do not love those? Can you love people of your own accord? Will you just naturally love those who hate you and are against you and speak ill of you? You're going to need him to uphold you. So I want to call the band up and we're going to take communion here. And as we prepare our hearts for communion, which is the remembering the body and the blood of Christ, that we are saved through his body and his blood, that it is his blood that brings the justification for an almighty, holy God. 
You know, there is this verse, verse 8 in Ephesians 4. And I don't know if you are like me, but when, you st- when I started reading, you know, we had verse 7, which is interesting. He gives, the gris, he gives grace in proportion. But then your brain sort of skips over 8, 9, and 10 because you don't fully understand what he's doing there. It says, this is what it says, this is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascends higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. And so then what happens? You get to verse 11 and you're back on. It was he who gave some to be apostles and you're like, okay, yep, yep, we're back to the gifts. Paul is quoting Psalm 68, 18. A psalm of King David. In this time, it was said that if a king got off of his throne and joined his generals and his army in battle, he was descending his throne and going to the lower regions out to battle. After the battle is won, the king would then ascend his throne and he would distribute gifts amongst his people, the spoils of war. This is so cool. It makes this whole section of scripture so much richer. So Paul quotes Psalm 68:18, as he has just said, Christ will give grace as he apportions it, and then goes on to explain to us that Jesus descended from his throne to the lower earthly regions to overcome the enemy that we could not defeat. King David was bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, right? He was bringing it back to the city of David. Paul says, Jesus defeated the enemy of sin and death. He defeated the final Egypt, the greater Egypt. And he now has ascended on high. And here are the gifts that he gives. Is that an incredible imagery? That is the imagery Paul is using that they would have understood of a king descending and ascending and then pouring out gifts. It is the same way that our God has given the gifts to us. When we think about the body of Christ and we think about the fact that this heavenly being descended into his very creation, a material world, to be both divinely fully God and fully man, that it was through his body that the temple curtain was torn. It was his body which gave us access. And so when we gather together as a congregation, the representation of his body, we eat together not as a matter of tradition, but as a matter of remembrance. Father, we thank you that we are upheld by your Holy Spirit. Lead us in the giftings, Lord, that you have put on the hearts of the people here. Father, may all glory, honor, worship, and praise be given to you. In Jesus' name, let's eat together. In a similar manner, he took the cup And he would say, this is my blood. That is the mark of a new covenant between God and man. It is by the blood of Jesus 
that our rags, that our sin is exchanged for his robe of righteousness. It's the reason the Father sees us through the eyes of his Son. Father, we thank you that you saw no cost worthy to spare. Lord, may we not forget it this week. When the trials of life and the temptations come up, Father, would you remind me of this moment that I was made new, that we've been given victory over sin and death, and that you have gifted me by your Holy Spirit, Lord, to move powerfully in my community. We thank you, Lord, for the blood that you shed on that cross. In Jesus' name. As we close here in worship, I, I hope you'll take time to pray with somebody. If, you need, if you'd like to come forward and pray, our prayer partners will be up here. The altar's open. You can come forward and pray. You can come to the front and stand in worship and lift your hands if you want. You can kneel where you're at if you want. But let this time be a final close of worship to the Lord. And if you, if you need to seek something out, if he is stirring on your heart, don't just sit there. Come, move take action. Let's stand as we close together in worship.